Jason's alive. He killed my friend, now he's coming for me. He's got a death curse. Jason's a legend. I'm Mrs. Warrior, an old friend of the Christie's. Jason belongs in hell. You're doing if you stay here. Never come back again. You see, Jason was my son. And today is his birthday. Good evening, and welcome to another episode of Return to Camp Blood. I'm your host, Nathan Barker. Joining me tonight are my fellow counselors, Eric Walford. What's up, y'all? And Landon Evanson. How you doing? Now, some of our regular listeners will remember Lando co-hosting episodes in the past. He's sort of been on a bit of a break, but we're glad to have him with us again for tonight. For those that aren't aware, Lando also writes for HorrorGeekLife.com. And I noticed that he recently posted an article about Jenny from Friday the 13th Part 2 being what he calls the true final girl. So basically tonight, we're going to discuss that in a bit more detail and see if she is, so to speak, the true final girl. So Lando, since you wrote this article, I'm just going to kick this off by saying, you know, I think you did a great job as always with all of your work. You're a great writer. And basically, what inspired your thought process for this article? Uh, basically, it's just uh, I've always been a huge Amy Steele fan. I mean, it goes back to when I was young. I mean, in a way, I kind of refer to her as like the Phoebe Cates of horror as far as I'm concerned. She's like, you know, the top of the, the mountain. But uh, more than anything about it was just I was just thinking about it. And there's always these talks about final girls and, you know, they're celebrated. And when it comes to Friday the 13th, the more I thought about it, I really thought, you know, for a series that's gone on for so long, it's been making films, 12 films since 1980. There was really only one final girl that stood out as like above and beyond and like that that true celebrated final girl kind of persona like that Jamie Lee Curtis or Heather Camp, and it was Amy Steele. And I thought, you see all kinds of articles that people talk about all the time, Amy Steele is their favorite final girl and all this kind of stuff. But I thought it would be like, just put it out there. It's like when it comes to the conversation of final girls with Friday the 13th, there's no competition. Amy Steele is head and shoulders above everybody else. And I just wanted to write about that. For those of you that might not be aware of the article that we're actually referring to, probably find that under horrorgeeklife.com under their uh, horror editorial section. Is that correct, Lando? I believe so. And just looking at the article, lots of good information on there. But right off the bat, I noticed that, you know, the first thing that caught my eye was, you know, to fulfill the role, one must possess intelligence, strength, and courage. And obviously, you're not calling out any of the other final girls, but you're basically you know, just pinpointing that, you know, she basically delivers on all of those. Yeah, she's just, uh, I mean, she, I mean, more than anything, it was, I think that the idea of, you see final girls all the time, and it's, there's always that sense of either, you know, discovering someone that they didn't know that they were, or possessing a strength they didn't know they had, but it always comes down to that intelligence, the idea of outsmarting the person who's pursuing them, but you know, throughout that film, you're talking about, you know, she's going to school for child psychology, and she actually broke that down a little bit. And it was just the idea, of, once she got past that initial fright of what in the hell is going on here, immediately she went into, into survival mode. She immediately started thinking, what are the things I can do to try and get myself out of the situation and escape? And it wasn't until she realized that she was going to have to fight that she did. So it was all just about that survival instinct kicking in and being strategic about what do I need to do to get out of this situation? Whereas a lot of other final girls will run around and, you know, they're screaming and there's, I guess, you know, I don't want to disrespect any other final girls. I'm just saying it's just the idea that I think the panic lasts a little bit longer for some of those characters as opposed to Amy Steele. And I agree uh, wholeheartedly on that. And another thing that will back up what you, what you stated, 
it was a rat, not Jason Voorhees, that got to Amy Steele. I mean, that whole time the hamster was on the wheel, you know what I mean? And even when she got backed into a corner at the end in the shack, I mean, when she did, she she utilized her resources well. And, you know, it genuinely took a rat to make Amy still lose her bearing, so to speak. It wasn't Jason. So, I mean, that airs credence to this article, in my my opinion. Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, you know, obviously the fact that she was being pursued by Jason didn't help. I mean, that probably loosened the bladder a little bit, but yeah, it was the idea that the rat was the one that, uh, you know, I mean, the funny thing about that, I was one of those people that for years was guilty of that I, I always thought that it was the rat itself that had urinated. It was running, you know, running down, but you know, as you get older and stuff, you start to realize, Oh no, it was, it was Ginny that was, you know, losing control. And one thing that I'd like to mention, too, is, and not to debate any of the popularity of the other films, but was maybe some of the, I guess, uh, some of the process behind the article, did that relate to maybe you feeling that Jenny didn't get enough credit because of the popularity of other films in general? I, I, you know, I think there, there, are, some, there are elements to that that you, you probably latch on to. I just think that as long as the series has been going on and what the series became, I mean, you talk about part three being in 3D and then the final chapter. A lot of people feel that that's the best film in the series. And you move right past five, you start getting into Jason Lives. And now you're starting, it's, it's a little bit more fun. It's a little bit more, there's the comedic element of it. And then when Kane Hodder comes in for part seven through Jason X, it just became kind of a, a different franchise. And I think over over time and, and the changes the series made, I think that it kind of got lost in the shuffle. And I think that, you know, diehard Friday the 13th fans, you know, know about Amy Steele and they're never going to forget that. But I think you're talking about what the sequel is 1981, I think. I mean, so, I mean, it's been a very, very long time. And sometimes I think it does kind of slip by the wayside. I was recently screwing around on YouTube and I like to watch some old Joe Bob Briggs clips and he was doing, it was like the Halloween Friday the 13th marathon. And it was just his segments. The movies obviously were cut out, but it got to part two and, he started talking about how Amy Steele would maybe she'd be remembered a little bit differently if she'd been if this was the original film as opposed to the nineteen eighty version, that maybe she would be looked at like, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis or someone like that, because in a way she was almost cheated by the fact that she was in the sequel and not the original and people re- remember the original more. And I think it I think that holds water a little bit. Yeah, I definitely agree, and I do love Part 2, and obviously Part 3 is one of my favorites, but as a fan and just an observer and, you know, talking to other fans, it does seem like she probably is a little undercredited, you know, just because of the popularity of Part 3 and, like you said, the original. So I was just curious if maybe that might have had something to do with, you know, the spark of, of writing about it. Yeah, a little bit, and I think it was also just because, I mean, I'm such a big fan, and I mean, you know, I know about other Final Girls and other horror franchises and all that kind of thing, but in a way, it's almost just like, you know, you just want to give as much credit as you possibly can, even if it's on this small scale. You know, I'm not, you know, I'm not writing for uh, Fangoria or, you know, some kind of an editorial column in a newspaper or anything like that. But anytime you can get that kind of thing out there, I think just in general, when it comes to Final Girls, I think that Amy Steele probably doesn't get as much credit as she should. I mean, I think even in the Friday franchise to an extent, that's not the case, but I think in the wider scope of things, I, I think that when people start talking about final girls, you know, you go through a pretty extensive list sometimes, and even though even maybe that's only four or five people, but I mean, before you get to Amy Steele, and I think that that, that doesn't sit very well with me. I think that she's right up there with the best of the best. 
And I agree that that does happen a lot, especially in the horror community where people are discussing our niche and it does. It seems like, I mean, there's of course other horror franchise, iconic horror franchises and iconic female protagonists. There's others, but she did. I mean, even meet Amy still, she's kind of got that je ne sais quoi about her. I don't know <laughs> what, but it's there. And it played out on the screen, and I agree with you. It's just she does not hating anybody else. I love everybody that has anything to do with Friday. I don't think she gets her due diligence, but she's humble enough not to need it, and that's what's awesome about her, I guess. Well, I think it also, and I, I touched on it a little bit in in the piece itself, when it comes to acting ability. I think that Amy Steele is again, head and shoulders above everybody else, anybody else that would be a final girl in the Friday franchise. I mean, it was just everything that she was doing, every movement, uh, every word, every emotion that she was, you know, presenting on screen, you bought into it. And nothing felt like, well, I'm supposed to be frightened here. You know, she looked terrified. And I, I think that that just kind of brings more of an authenticity to the performance than that she was so believable in the situation as opposed to somebody who's just doing what they think they're supposed to be. And this is how they're supposed to be feeling in the situation. She actually, you know, she was the idea of you can think about her, you can go there. She went there. Yeah. And I definitely agree with that. To quote your article, for example, there's one particular line that stood out to me. Steele's emotions were believable and that is 100% accurate. I mean, that is the perfect, that's the perfect words. You couldn't have said that any better. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. And, you know, but I, and I definitely, I definitely feel that way. I also like to, uh, for those of you that haven't read the article, there's a, just a little sentence in there too, that says, never mind the fact that Steele was pretty, but not gorgeous and possessed acting chops that left her head and shoulders above the competition. Basically like you just said, but I like how you kind of throw that in there. You know, she's pretty, but not gorgeous, which to me insinuates that she's basically just got the perfect down home look for the part. Yeah, I think I would, and I debated whether I wanted to put that in there or not, but even like, like right now when we're speaking anyway, I mean, by the time this airs, it will no longer be Women in Horror Month, but I touched on that a little bit on Twitter recently and stuff too. You see all these, I mean, you'll write these articles about these inspiring women in horror and these great performances of these fabulous characters, and you know, you pour your heart and soul into it, and then you see these comments, and three or four people are telling me, oh, she's so hot and everything. It's just like, did you, you could not miss the point anymore. Than you than you you just did by saying something like that. It's it's not the point. And I think with Amy Steele, the reason I talked about that authenticity and that realism, that believability, she's not running around. It's not Cindy Crawford walking around out there. It's not somebody who's just like she got the part because she's just so drop dead gorgeous and guys just want to just can't help but look at her. She's pretty. She's very attractive. I mean, you know, like like I said, I mean, don't get me wrong, but I'm just saying I think that I think you're more apt if you were to go to a camp in a situation like that. You're more likely to see Amy Steele out there than you are, you know, like I said, somebody that looks like Cindy Croft or something like that. She, she, she was a, a, a believable attractiveness, if that makes sense. Oh, 100%. I totally agree. And looking at, you know, the girls from the other films, it's kind of that, you know, the same feel, you know, uh, basically just what you said that applies to basically all the so-called final girls from all the films, I think. Mm -hmm. And she definitely fit yeah. the bill, I think perfectly. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, and, you know, that was the one thing that, like you said, I mean, with all the Friday Funner girls, they all pretty much have that in common. They're all they're all good looking, but none of them are, you know, where you're just going to it's going to stop traffic. 
I don't know. I don't know really how to word it without sounding insulting, but it's, you know, it's, it's, you, you don't have that, uh, somebody who's just almost, well, I mean, somebody that would be a good example, somebody like Megan Fox. I mean, someone who's just, I always refer to it as like artificially attractive, not that she's had all this work done. I mean, maybe she has, I don't know, but I'm saying somebody who just, they're so good looking, it almost doesn't even feel real. And, you know, I think that that all of a sudden now you, you're, you have to suspend, you know, there has to be a suspension of disbelief with these films to begin with. But when you see that now, it's like, okay. You know, it's kind of like, I mean, an example that I was thinking of that guy back in the day used to watch a show, NYPD Blue. When that show began, whether it was the male detectives, female detectives, cops or whatever, they just looked like real people. They looked, Those are the kind of people you could see in a police precinct. And by the time the show had run, run its course, you get into the final couple of seasons, all of a sudden you're walking in there and it's like a, a, a runway show. You know, it's a bunch of models and Dennis Franz. And it eventually doesn't make sense. You're not you're not going to go into a police precinct in New York and see a bunch of tens walking around. You're just not. You know, might, there might be one or two, maybe, but I mean, that's just not real. And you know, I, I like it when you know they, they make it real. Yeah, definitely. I mean, just to go back to the Megan Fox thing. I mean, try to picture mm-hmm. Megan Fox sitting around a campfire, you know, drinking beer and doing whatever at Camp Crystal Lake. You know, probably not going to happen. Right. But I like I like your comment, uh, or not your comment, but your wording in the article also of you know Jenny Jenny dripped of realism, and once again, yeah. that's that's just hitting the nail right on the head. Like I said, I think that they just really did a good job casting her, and they really couldn't have found anybody better. Oh, I agree, one hundred percent. Let's also touch back a little bit in the beginning of the article. I think there's a reference made, you know, to Adrian King and her portrayal of her character in part one. Uh, I know Eric's very fond of Adrian and so am I. Uh, she's, a, you know, just a sweetheart in general. And there are some differences. And to be in that position where you are playing in a sequel of, you know, a very popular film, she obviously was under pressure. And Jenny's character, obviously, there was a bit of a chase scene and whatnot, and obviously her motivation basically was, you know, out of survival. But like I said, in, in the big picture of that, you know, what do you think really set her apart from Adrian's original portrayal of, you know, when it was go time? I think it was, you know, that's the thing. I mean, Adrian. I mean, I agreed with what you said. She is a sweetheart, and I, I love her. She's one of the nicest people you're ever gonna talk to or you're ever gonna meet. But um, I, I think with her performance and whatnot, and granted it was the way it was written and that was the way the story went, but I mean, there was a lot of, it wasn't until there was, there was no other choice but to fight. It was, it was, a, she got to that point where it was, well, it's going to be me or her. And and that's when she, she grabbed the machete and did what she had to do. I think with Amy Steele, that, that moment came much sooner, not that she necessarily wanted to get into that, but that she was in survival mode. She was doing things strategically and, I think it was just that that scene in the shack itself when she realized there is no other there is nowhere else to go now, and he you know he's bigger and stronger than I am. I'm not going to be able to win this fight. It doesn't mean think, that she couldn't didn't try to overpower him to at least gain a running advantage by the hide and nad. Yeah, no, but what I was about to say was just the idea that thinking on her feet, the idea that she came up with with using the sweater and trying to get into Jason's head to get him to get down on his knees to kind of level the playing field a little bit, then maybe she has a fighting chance. I think it was the fact that she was able to do that really at the drop of a hat. Instead of seeing him through the window and panicking and, oh, do I hide? What do I do? You know, doesn't know how to react to the situation. She immediately was like, okay, well, this is where I'm at. This is what I have to do. I have to do this or I'm going to die. And I think it was just 
I really liked the way they portrayed that. It was like, even though she was in the fight of her life and most people would be losing their minds, she still had her wits about her to say, okay, what can I do to make sure I get out of this? And she was able to come through on it. So it sounds kind of like maybe your breaking point for you or what sways your opinion. And I could be wrong, but when she attempts the Jedi mind fuck, you know, with the sweater, that that was kind of what did it for you. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just the way she handled the situation, the fact that she went into a strategic mode almost immediately, that was huge for me. But the, that moment is what, if if nothing else, that moment cements it for me, that there, there there's nobody else that you can compare it to, that she she just went to a different place. And when you put it in those real terms, I mean, you hear people now, and I, I'd written an article about it a while back with the Blair Witch Project and how it, it needs to be a little bit more respected than it, than it is. And a lot of people got upset. Well, what are you talking about? It's a classic. Well, there's a lot of people that bitch about it, how stupid it is. And, you know, I think a lot of times in horror films, you have to put yourself in the shoes of the characters that you're watching on screen to be able to kind of buy into it completely. And I think, you know, Blair Witch Project was like that. Instead of just watching it as a modern audience, I mean, you, you look at it as, what would you, how would you be thinking and feeling if you were in that situation? And if you were putting yourself in Ginny's shoes in that situation, you're standing there, it seems like this is the last ditch effort. And all of a sudden I see the guy in the window and you're now you're in that spot. What do you do? How many people are going to, you know, go to that place where, okay, I'm going to think on my feet. I'm going to get this figured out. I'm going to give it a shot. And hopefully it works. You know, a lot of people would hide. A lot of people would try and club him over the head with a log when he comes to the door, whatever the case may be. Not many people are probably going to be able to, to separate their fear from their survival and be able to come through like that. And so, I mean, I think that's also something that it's above and beyond. That that's, the average person probably wouldn't be able to do that. And I agree. And that particular scene, you know, when she does put the sweater on, that's probably one of the most climactic scenes in the whole franchise. I mean, granted, there's tons of, of you know, suspense in all of the different films, but that one, to me, is, is a pretty big deal. And like I said, I mean, for her to to portray that in the way that she did, I mean, she just knocked it out of the park. Yeah, I mean, like you said, I mean, you put it in those terms, you're going to come up with, you know, the handful, four or five moments in the series. That's one of them. Wherever you rank it, I don't know, but it, it, it's, in, it's in the conversation. And that says a lot, too, because like you said, you're talking about a franchise with, with 12 films. So there, there's a lot of material there. And so if you're yeah, separating definitely. it down to the, the best four or five, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, I would definitely have to say it's right up there. I guess I've never really tried to make a composed list of all of that. Right. And right. I like everything. I guess I agree with everything that's in your article. I don't really have anything to uh, you know challenge or to try to debate. But there are some, I guess, things that are you know similar to the other final girls, but she really is in a league of her own when it comes down to the climactic ending. Some of the other girls, yeah, there's the chase scenes and there's everything that we all know that's in the films, but she really is in her own league, you know, when it comes to that final confrontation. All right. So with all that in mind, is there any other final girl that maybe you would like to do a, you know, one-on-one comparison with? I mean, you say she's the true final girl and I won't disagree with that. There's been other great ones, but the circumstances obviously were a little bit different, but if you were to pick one to try and have, you know, a, a final matchup with, who would that be? Oh man, that's tough. I mean, there, like you said, there have been some good ones. And I mean, I touched on it in the article, you know, Tina would probably be the one that you would look to. But like I said, I think because of her 
you know, telekinetic powers, she kind of gets eliminated, even though, you know, through no fault of her own. But um, you touched on part three. You know, I think Chris is pretty impressive. I mean, even though there was still some a frantic element to her approach to things. I but mean, at, you the, know. at the end of part three, Chris was batshit lost. At the end of part two, Jenny's saying, where's Paul? I mean, there's a huge, there's a drastic contrast. I mean, one's going to be in an I love me jacket forever, and the other one's going to get through it. I mean, so I, I don't think that's an apples to apples comparison with Chris Higgins. Maybe Trish Jarvis, maybe, because. Well, no, I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't finished. I was just saying that she'd be one I could talk about, but I think Trish and Pam are definitely a couple that, you know, you'd have to weigh, weigh that. I think when you look at Jason, Jason X, in a way, it's almost because there were more than one female that survived, so it's kind of tough. But you look at, uh, you know, like Lexa Doig's character. I mean, she was a badass through and through. You know, she and she was she was tough and had her wits about her. You know, for the duration of the film. So I mean, it's just kind of tough. You're talking about one where the last the last woman standing. But yeah, I definitely think that you know, Trish and Pam would have to be uh, considered pretty heavily. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with that. Three and four to me, obviously, there's climactic, you know, chase scenes in there, um, as you both are well aware of. And obviously with five, having her character kind of more of, I guess, the fight scene, if you want to call it that. I don't know if that's the appropriate words to use, but I would say that probably, you know, her and Jenny would be more of the comparison. In six, with that character, that's not so much as a confrontational thing. You know, she was... Mm -hmm if you even want to call her a final girl, I mean, you, you kind of sort of can, even though she really was not in the same element as the others. So I think Pam's probably more of a, of a fair shot. I would throw in Monica Kina in the mix too, but you know, that's a crossover film. So I think that one just kind of stands by itself. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one thing like you, you touched on a little bit, you know, with, uh, you know, Megan with Jason lives. I mean, she, she was definitely game, you know, it was just kind of a different circumstance. I mean, that, that film revolved more around Tommy Jarvis. And so she really didn't get that kind of opportunity. But then again, you look at, you know, when shit started hitting the fan, things started getting a little crazy. Once they got out to the lake with the cabin and everything, you know, she, I wouldn't say she completely shut down, but there were, there were a lot of panics there, you know, where uh, you just don't know if she was in that situation. She had to survive. How would she do? But then again, you know, she didn't hesitate to save Tommy either. I mean, so she, you know, she was with it as far as that's concerned. So in a way she really never gets a fair shake. Right. And the thing I like about Jenny's character that we basically have, you know, just a recap of what we've been talking about is she's calm under pressure. And most of the other ones, well, basically all the other ones, I'm not, I can't really use part six as a good example, but I'm going to use three and four because that's the best example. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you want to call it a meltdown, but definitely uh, frantic. Yeah. And obviously with Jenny, we don't, we don't really see that. I mean, there is a little bit of that chase scene, but you know, when it comes down to, you know, what the fuck am I going to do? It's pretty calm. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing I think that sometimes people could come back and say, well, when you look at the the very end of part two, like, you know, Eric alluded to the idea of, you know, where's Paul and everything. And she did have that kind of breakdown moment once she got back to the room and, you know, in her mind, she thought it was over and that she, she could allow herself to kind of, purge those feelings that she'd been holding back while she was trying to survive. And so I don't think that that's necessarily fair to say, well, at the end, she kind of, she wasn't holding it together anymore because at the time she thought she was in the clear and this was behind her. And now she 
go ahead and have like that cathartic moment. So it's, it's different than being right in the middle of it and, and experiencing that. Yeah, definitely. That's a different comparison. And, you know, like I said, there's traces of some of those things in the other films also, but in the big picture, just the way that the character is written to handle themselves, you know, in that heat of the moment, stressful, climactic situation. I mean, I, I definitely have to say hers was definitely handled the best. Definitely. I cannot argue with that at all. Yeah, I mean, from the get-go, I mean, she was cool under pressure. I mean, even the pressure of the Volkswagen and it being shitty and her lightheartedness with Paul. I think that Jenny does stand out from the rest. And, I mean, you could put her up against a Nev Campbell or a Jamie Lee Curtis, quite frankly. And in my honest opinion, she did that that great. I mean, it's not a lack of beauty that she has. She's a very hometown girl. And hometown girl lives next door to you. I think that that part of it too got me as a kid and just her mm-hmm. strength and, and not her not haphazardly going skinny dipping it at night. I didn't see any of that with Jenny's character. I mean, even when they're at the bar, it's, she's up in her, she's in her own mind. She's not at the bar. I mean, and I think that just shows to her strength and, Maybe it was such a, since she was such a cerebral character, maybe that's mm-hmm. what gives her the edge above the others. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe, but she's very strong. And I mean, like I said, she was, she was cognitive. And I mean, as far as we could tell, I mean, it wasn't, she wasn't batshit crazy like Chris Higgins. Well, I think that that's what you touched on. I think that that scene in the bar is a big deal. And I had touched on that in the article a little bit. It was just the idea that you know, she didn't back down. She wasn't told, what, what, what are you talking about? That's nuts. She was just like, Oh really? You think so? I mean, she, she believed what she believed. She held her convictions and she wasn't going to be shut down. I think that was kind of the idea throughout the entire film. We saw strength from her the whole time. It wasn't something where all of a sudden she, she realized that she had to be strong. She was strong from the word go. Absolutely. I mean, her relationship with Paul, I mean, she, I mean, she wore the pants in that relationship. There wasn't a point. I don't want to say that she was vulnerable because she's getting attacked by Jason fucking Voorhees. But as she tried to traverse and the, the cabins and the woods trying to get away from Jason, I mean, every step that she took and I mean, damn that man for score on that chasing is my favorite in the entire series. And I mean, it is that cat and mouse and it plays, I mean, that orchestra plays on that cat and mouse game. And Jason's a fucking survivalist. He lives in the woods and has not been around people and doesn't like to be around people at all. So unless mom, so she's competing with that, you know, that's some pretty stiff competition. I mean, all of that just adds to the strength of character that's Jenny, you know? But I also want to say, I didn't want to, that takes nothing away from Pam's character, who essentially was, had in facility job that, you know, Jenny would possibly could have went to with the degree that she was pursuing. I mean, and when she was under duress, she didn't think to use the cerebral. I mean, we know that Tommy did, and we see that, ended trish didn't either she was just in your face all well actually in your eye trish wasn't the smartest of the final girls and if nothing else jenny is 
Well, all right, Lando. Like I said, I think you did a great job with the article. I really can't, you know, disagree with anything that you said. I think you made very good points on everything. And with that in mind, that wraps up another episode of Return to Camp Blood. So please rate and review wherever the hell you listen to the show at. And this episode is brought to you by HorrorGeekLife.com and Friday the 13th Franchise.com. If you'd like to contact us, you can hit us up on our Facebook page or you can email at feedback at CampBloodPodcast.com. Until next time.